Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Welcome in, Gamecocks fans, Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Wet and Wild Wednesday here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Thank you for joining us. We got two for one. <laughs> What's up, guys? I just figured I'd open the show. Um, since it's Wet and Wild Wednesday, uh, sounding like uh, the DJ of the Gentleman's Club. But anyway, thought I'd start off with something funny like Joel Osteen does. <laughs> you know, if you've ever heard of Joel Osteen or even know what the hell I'm talking about. He always comes up, starts his sermons. He's like, I like to start with something funny. Um, so I figured that would kind of catch you guys off guard. Anyway, J.C. Sherbert here with you. It's Wednesday. It's game week. Got a lot to get to today on today's episode. Uh, don't forget, later today, I'll be on JB and Goldwater. You can stream it on Twitter, uh, stream it on um, Podbean, uh, YouTube. Uh, it's a uh, happening show, one of the best shows in the state of South Carolina. Um, in terms of, you know, that that daily sports talk I know you guys need. It's all live. Jamie Bradford, Darren Goldwater, and myself. And Mike Morgan will be on today after me. Um, I'm on, I think, at 12.30. Mike's on at 1.30. So uh, you get kind of the J.C. and Morgan podcast right there on J.B. and Goldwater. Josh Pate was on yesterday. Uh, you can go grab his segment off of uh, the iTunes Apple podcast store, Apple Podcast, i got to start calling it that, Um, uh, because it's also in podcast format every single day. Josh Pate's segment yesterday talked a lot about the Gamecocks and the Tennessee game. You you don't want to miss that. Um, So, anyway, that's the house cleaning. Um, For those in Columbia, I'll be on with Teddy Hefner tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Be sure to tune in for that, Uh, talking Gamecocks with Teddy uh, and all that good stuff. And then, you know, of course, right here, uh, taking you into game week, Tennessee, South Carolina, 7.30 p.m. kickoff, SEC Network, williams Bryce Stadium uh, on Saturday. Uh, should be a heck of a game. I think uh, if you look at the history of the series, and I had an article on the thebigspur.com yesterday kind of breaking that down, last four games uh, in Columbia have been decided by exactly three points. And so it's, it's, it's a tight series normally. Last year was not a typical – um, Gamecock Vols deal. Uh, and so if you're the Gamecocks, you're hoping that, you know, you're on the right side of a close game this weekend, or maybe, you, maybe, you know, if you win by more than three, that's, that's a good thing too. It's, it's a big, big football game. We talked about that today. I was a guest on um, with Wimp and Barry Sanderson in Tuscaloosa. I do that every Wednesday morning. We talk about, you know, a variety of football topics and then we got on the topic of this game and, you know, from their standpoint over there in Alabama, they're kind of looking back east going, that's a huge game for Jeremy Pruitt and Will Muschamp both. Uh, and it is, it is. It's, uh, you know, for Tennessee, w- with their aspirations this year to make a move uh, in the SEC East, and then the fact uh, I thought the SEC with the schedule really screwed them because um, they always play Alabama cross division and they added on Auburn and Texas A&M. Um, instead of maybe other schools. (laughs) And so that wasn't good. You know, that wasn't good for them because this was a year where Arkansas rotated on. You know, when that happens, it's not as bad. You got the East, you got, you know, Arkansas, who you should beat, and then, of course, Bama. But, you know, they just loaded the Vols up. And on top of that, they make them open at South Carolina, a place they've won um, once since 2006. So that's, that's tough. That's a tough deal for Tennessee, just like it is for South Carolina, uh, for different reasons. You know, I, I think based on what happened last year uh, and the trajectory of the two programs, you know, you, you need to win this game if you're the Gamecocks. Um, it's not the end of the world if you don't, but but it, it sort of is another thing that what I, I call is problematic. You know, it's problematic. It's not the end of the world. The Gamecocks went 4-8 last year, but it's problematic. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world that, you know, you have some hot seat talk out there, but it's problematic. You know, it's not the end of the world if you lose to Tennessee Saturday, but it's problematic. And so uh, I think, you know, it's an opening game, new offensive coordinator, uh, you know, good offensive coordinator on the other side of the ball, uh, good coaching on both sides. So, you know, we'll see what happens, you know, Saturday night. 
as we continue to preview uh, the season and, you know, the game this weekend. Um, okay, so Hale McGranahan, uh, who's been a guest on this podcast, who also works uh, on thebigspur.com, he came out with his MVPs and breakout players for 2020. And, and you know, as is the case when you're analyzing this stuff, you, you don't always agree. Um, so for VIP members, I or got, they got an early look at mine and I'm just going to go through it and tell you what Hale had and then tell you what I had. <laughs> so offensive MVP, Hale had Shai Smith. Um, and look, he's not wrong. I'm just saying that I would have made a different pick, you know, gun to my head. These things are, are, are supposed to be fun. Um, and my guess is he'll be half right about these and I'll be half right about these. But anyway, I went out on a limb and said my offensive MVP will be Colin Hill. And I think if he stays healthy, you know, there's a good chance that will happen. Um, and I'm going to tell you why, because he, he, you know, South Carolina needs a guy, a quarterback that can get the ball to the playmakers. I think he's got a better arm than people think. Uh, we'll see what happens Saturday night, you know, watch him go out there and go six for 22 with three interceptions. But, you know, Colin Hill right now, that's my offensive MVP. He picked Shy Smith. Um, defensive MVP, he picked Ernest Jones. And, and honestly, I would lean in that direction as well. But I went with Jamie Robinson just because I think Jamie Robinson is going to solidify back there a spot where Carolina has been iffy. And, and I think that's important. You know, Ernest Jones, I thought, played really well at Mike Linebacker last season. I thought he kind of came into his own. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the season T.J. Brunson had as a sophomore, probably a little better. Uh, and I, th- I think that Ernest, you know, is probably the MVP of the defense, but I would give it to Jamie Robinson. Um, he picked Jamie Robinson as a special teams MVP, as the return guy. I think that guy can make some things happen for sure. I picked Kai Kroger, um, and I'll just leave it at that. I've got a sneaky suspicion about Kai Kroger. Uh, the Gamecocks punter this year and some things that could happen right there. Breakout player on offense, uh, Hale picked Xavier Leggett. I I hope so. Um, and I hope he does break out in, in a certain way. But I went with Zaquandre White, and I'm going to tell you why. I, you know, when you talk about the running backs, there not being a lot of separation and all that, that's probably because White has been nursing a hamstring but when he's gotten in the scrimmages, he's looked really good. Um, and some contacts have kind of expressed to me, you know, you got to get him fully healthy because that guy can be a big difference maker. I'm always skeptical of Juco's and I've been kind of skeptical of white, you know, coming in, watching this film over the summer, some of his game tape uh, from out there. I just didn't know, you know, I was just, I don't know, you know, he gets his pad level low. He does have breakaway speed. He kind of runs upright when he does, but um, you know, the more I hear uh, about him, and it may not happen the first game. You may have to go Kevin Harris and Fenwick, and White may get limited carries. The more I think that could be a guy that, you know, when we get into October, you're sitting there going, man, you know, White's got to have a big game for the Gamecocks to win. Um, so I went with that. And, you know, obviously White and Hill are like uh, – you know, a little bit more, uh, how, how do we put it? Gutsy, gutsy calls right here. Uh, breakout player on defense. Um, I think J.J. Kingsley, Enigbare at the defensive end. Uh, you know, Hale pick Brad Johnson. They're kind of both on that same side. But I think Enigbare, uh, I've always thought he was super talented. And I thought the year he spent playing inside was out of necessity. I thought last year he was, you know, not never quite healthy needed to kind of refine his game, but he's been really good. And I'm telling you, if he's not for the whole season, Jordan Birch will eventually pass him. But, but I, I think there's a difference between when you're sitting there with an ultra talented freshman. All right. Right. So you're sitting there ultra, ultra talented freshman. Um, and you got a guy in front of him. That's just kind of a team guy. Uh, you know, just a blue collar guy that's, you know, probably not as talented, but, you know, he could, you know, he could suffice. Uh, th- then sometimes you set him up and you're like, okay, oh, Birch will beat him out by midseason. But we, he's not quite ready, so we're going to slow him down. Uh, that's not the case here. I mean, Enigbare is a stud. I mean, Enigbare 
if he has the year I think he's capable of having, you know, he could he could go pro after this season. I mean, he he's got that kind of ability. Sort of reminds me a little bit of Philip Merling, uh, who played at Clemson uh, back in I guess the mid two thousands. He's that kind of defensive end, um, long armed guy. You know, I, I I'm excited about him. I love defensive line. And, uh, I, I, you know, if you ask me a player I'm excited about this year, it's, it's Kingsley and Igbari, or J.J., as they call him. Newcomer on offense, it would, you know, it's probably Colin Hill or Zaquandre White, right, for me. So I went with White. Uh, if you had to pick somebody else, though, I would probably agree with Hale that Rico Powers at wide receiver would be the uh, newcomer. I, I think Rico – you know, has a lot of the it factor. You know, he showed up in tremendous, tremendous shape. Um, and he's a guy that talent-wise, I think, you know, is equal to or better than Shaq Rowland uh, when Shaq came in. Shaq's problems were never talent. You know, it was more dedication to the game. Well, Rico, Rico Powers has come in and, you know, done a great job. So, you know, that's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if Rico Powers makes a, makes a play or two that, people are impressed by on Saturday night. So Hale's, you know, not wrong with that. That's a tough one when you have offensive MVPs a newcomer, defensive MVPs a new or breakout players a newcomer. So we got that newcomer on D. I went with Muhammad Kaba. Uh, Hale went with Jordan Birch. Um, I, you know, I, I think Birch is going to make a lot of, you know, his share, not a lot, I'm not going to say a lot, uh, a lot of plays. What's that? How do you quantify that? His share of plays this year but I think Mo Kaba at the weak side linebacker position, again, once we get into mid-October, I think you're going to start seeing more of him. Now, that, that's a little risky pick on my part. It'd be easier to pick Birch, but I'm going to go with Kaba. We both agree on the top offensive lineman, Sedarius Hutcherson. I think he's one of the best interior offensive linemen in college football. He's back at the position that he's best at uh, and probably will play that in the NFL. Um, so I'm going to go with him. Now, Dylan Walton, you can make a case for Dylan Walton. You can make a case for Jovan Gwynn, who's had an excellent preseason. Uh, but I'm going to go with the fifth-year guy uh, who came who, – who originally Sean Elliott signed as a 230-pound defensive end. Um, most approved on offense, he went with Colin Hill, and I agree with that. You know, if you're talking about, you know, fans in show-me mode, I put Shy Smith because, I, you know, Shy Smith's a guy – that is called, you know, he's 500 yard receiving. I think he can get up to the eight, 900 yard, you know, maybe even a thousand yards receiving this year. Um, if he brings it every down and he's got to prove that I've been a shy Smith fan and I believe he could be that guy. I don't buy into the, the whole, well, he's just average or whatever, you know, it's his turn. You know, it, it went Debo to Brian Edwards and now it's shy Smith's turn. Um, you know, and I, and I do think that they'll get him some help. I got a question in the mailbag about wide receiver, and I do think he'll have help. But I think Shy Smith's got to go out there and prove he's the dynamic guy he is. And I think if he does that, he's going he's gonna to get paid. You know, he's going to be drafted and get paid. Uh, and I think he's very talented. Uh, Shy, the, the, the reason I'm so high on him is that he's not just a fast guy you put in the slot. If you watch his – hands and his body positioning uh, with some of the catches he's made over the years. And also in high school, he can go up and get it. He, he's made some crazy catches. So he's got great hands. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, consistently being that guy and being a number one. And so that's a lot to prove, but I think he could definitely prove it. Um, and then on defense, um, Hale had a good pick in Rick Sandage. You know, I think Sandage is a guy, he's a junior. And it's not good, I think, sometimes when you're a junior and they're still referring to you as a young guy. Um, but Sandage is a, is a guy that has flashed that, you know, needs to be consistent every down. So I'm not disagreeing completely with Hale there. But I put Izzy McQuamu. Uh, I think a lot of people around the country are high on him because they're intrigued by his size. And they all watched the Georgia game last year. Um, and if you took that game out of it, I, I would say good, not great. So he needs to be great, um, and he's going to play some corner and then slide to safety in certain packages, and he needs to be that ball-hawking guy we all saw against Georgia uh, every every single game, you know, 
And, and obviously, if you're a corner, you're going to get beat from time to time. It's not going to be perfect. Nobody is at that position. But, you know, he's got to play better more often than not, I think, for South Carolina's secondary to really be what it is. Because I think Horn is awfully consistent, you know, uh, on his side of the field, shutting guys down and stuff. Uh, but I think McQuamu's got to be that guy that ends up, um, you know, that ends up being, you know, that solidifying factor, you know, the, uh, the Andre Goodman to the Sheldon Brown, if you will. Hell uh, mentioned the most anticipated game of the season's Tennessee game. And, and I agree. It's not just because it's the opener. I think it would be the, the most anticipated game of the year. Regardless, we've talked um, <clears throat> ad nauseum about the fact that you circle that game. It's just important for so many reasons. Um, you know, if Georgia was earlier, Maybe you make a case there, but that's not till Thanksgiving weekend. You know, Kentucky's not till the first week of December. Um, going to the swamps always important, you know. But uh, you know, this one, this one's, uh, you know, it, I don't know that it's a long season, so you can't really call it like an elimination game. I think in terms of the East, it may be, but but it's it's a pecking order game. You know, South Carolina and Tennessee are close. Tennessee's trying to get back. You know, South Carolina's trying not to sink anymore. It's so, so one's going one way, one's going the other when you consider last season. But when you boil down these teams this year, you know, I don't know that Tennessee has this overwhelming advantage with talent. Now, there may come a day if they keep recruiting like they are where you go, gosh, you know, South Carolina doesn't have the players to hang with UT. Um, but I think right now they absolutely do. And, and I think even last year, in a 20-point loss, you know, you eliminate their big plays, you, you probably, um, you know, you probably have a different outcome, maybe. Uh, or you get anything at all on offense or you don't have the special teams. I mean, you know, there, there's just a lot that went into that game that were, I don't want to say flukish because Tennessee made the plays they had to make. But, um, you know, I I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I I don't think there was 20 points difference between those two teams last year. Let me put it that way. Um, and so there you go. So the Vols are coming to town. That Those were Hale's preseason superlatives and picks, and I gave mine. Be sure to check out that article on thebigspur.com. It's free, but if you want to be an M uh, MVP, VIP, I think you could join for a dollar right now. We certainly appreciate all our VIP members. Um, I know many of you listen to this podcast, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun being a VIP on the website. Uh, the stakes are high this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh, it's a high stakes opener for the Gamecocks, and you know, as someone that whose business sort of revolves around Carolina football, I'll, I'll say this: the stakes are high for me too. Number one, it, it, business is always good, even with last year. Business has been fine. You know, it's a it's a Big SEC football program, big school. Um, so there's plenty of customers, <laughs> plenty of fans that are passionate and some of the most passionate in the country in South Carolina. But business is always better uh, just from the standpoint of, you know, the toxicity on the message boards and, you know, social media meltdowns and stuff like that. It's always less of a headache when the Gamecocks win. I was talking to somebody the other day. I almost can't enjoy – the games anymore uh, because it's like the coach who's winning is a relief and losing is devastating. You know, it, it's, it's it, cause it, it's just, it's not, I'm not being a fanboy about it. You know, it's not, you know, it's not like I was when I was in high school or college where, you know, it would just simply ruin my week or other things in life. This basically is my life. So it's a, uh, the stakes are high, not only obviously for the Gamecock football program, but for yours truly, your loyal podcast host and you know owner of thebigspur.com. I don't expect you to give me any sympathy for that, though, because I do have a dream gig <laughs> right here. Um, looking around the uh, SEC, and I've got mailbag questions I'm going to get to here in a second. Again, if you want to get in on the mailbag, email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. At the Big Spur Pod is the Inside the Gamecocks podcast uh, Twitter account. Follow that account, please. 
you can follow our Instagram account inside the Gamecocks. It's at inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. If you're on Instagram um, and also head to the Apple podcast store, keep those five-star ratings coming. Um, I think on an episode later this week, I'm going to go and look and, and thank, you know, those of you in recent weeks that have left those ratings and reviews. I certainly appreciate it. I won't read the reviews because it's like, if you're just listening to the podcast and you kind of just want to hear about the Gamecocks and that's it, that, that's kind of self-indulgent for me to read like praise for the podcast for 20 minutes. So I'm not going to do that, but I do want to get some shout outs and thanks out there because that's made our ranking go up. We're the highest rated uh, Gamecock only podcast on the Apple pod store. Um, and we're one of the best in all of the football category, which includes the NFL and colleges and just you know things like jc and morgan that are broad college football offerings you know that that's that's tremendous for you know one football team and and we don't really have a lot of guests either it's just kind of me giving a monologue every day and and so i'm glad you guys enjoy that i'm I'm glad that we have the numbers we do so i'm going to kind of take us around the sec right now uh, and again, check out Hale's superlatives article on the Big Spur. Like I said, it's not a VIP thing. You just go right there and read it um, and see if you agree or disagree uh, with Hale's picks. Um, Going to go around the SEC. Big day. I mean, it, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I think from a fan of college football perspective, the all SEC schedule is pretty sweet. You know, you don't have any of your like you know, Charleston Southern and Auburn type games or Louisiana Monroe at Alabama type games, although Louisiana Monroe did beat Alabama in Saban's first year. Nobody remembers that. See, one game doesn't one game doesn't kill you. Um, you know, Western Kentucky at Alabama. I mean, Alabama, you know, usually the first four weeks, you know, they usually open with, you know, uh, you know, somebody that's supposed to be good. You know, although Louisville and Duke in recent years have not exactly been that. But, uh, you know, this year they were supposed to open with Southern Cal uh, on a neutral site. And then it's just like garbage, 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 you know, Arkansas. And and so Alabama this year, you know, they kind of hit it hard right out the gate. And you don't have to sit through any of those things. Uh, and, And I think. I, I don't know that this is going to be permanent, and I, I, don't, I don't know that it necessarily should be. I think the coaches would not want that. Because um, I think if you're a fan of a team, yeah, you're, you're not excited about playing Louisiana Monroe, but that's a win, you know. And, and <laughs> I think some of these records this year are going to be shocking to some people. Like, you know, LSU could go six and four or five and five, still be pretty good considering they lost 36 players last year. But, you know, it's only five wins compared to, what, 15? So that's like a third of the wins. Um, so I think, I think some of these fans are going to be, you know, disappointed with, with what, what, what will have been a very good season by some of these teams. Because when you're just talking about the league, um, hell, Auburn's 33 and 31 last 64 in the league. Carolina's 31 and 33, and that includes a one and seven in 2015. So – you know, I think that people would believe because Auburn wins nine, ten a year, uh, eight to ten, sometimes seven, sometimes they win seven, uh, that Auburn's like dramatically superior to South Carolina. Um, and, you know, of course, South Carolina needs to beat Auburn to get in the conversation there. But, you know, just you look at the last 64 games and you're like, you know, that's that's, that's not they're not that far apart. You know, it's, it's, it's a two-game deal. So the SEC records are a little bit different story. Um, Tennessee's SEC record during that, that time, I think, is something like maybe 18 and 30, 18 and 46. Yeah, not good. <laughs> so you know it's 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 when you when you just pull out the sec record it's it's a little bit different but i you know i, I think from a fan's perspective of college football this is a smorgasbord and, and there's really some matchups too that aren't very good but it, it's a smorgasbord just to have all this and it's going to get even better uh as the season moves on so you know 
we had a pandemic. We, we looked like we weren't going to have a season for a while. I'll take this as an observer of college football. Definitely. Definitely will. All right. So in the SEC noon, ESPN, the Florida Gators minus 14 and a half at Ole Miss. That line, and I'm getting these lines off ESPN.com. Uh, I would encourage all of you to go to William Hill. That's kind of our uh, place for lines, if you will, on the CBS 24-7 Sports Network. Um, but I couldn't access their lines today, so I looked on ESPN. 14 and a half. That, that was 10 and a half for a while. Um, so maybe some of the, the, the COVID complaints from Lane Kiffin or – you know, some other things have, have caused the, the folks in Vegas to give the Gators a little bit more of a spread. You know, 14 and a half, I'd almost be in an opening game because Ole Miss has some players. Um, and you guys remember Henry Parrish, who the Gamecocks recruited in last year's class. Uh, Ely, their stud five-star running back from last year, and Parrish are listed as co-starters. That's how good Henry Parrish has been. So, unfortunately, Carolina's got to play Ole Miss later this year. I think Ole Miss has some talent on offense. Um, I, You know, Florida's defense is supposed to be nasty. I'm always skeptical sometimes of a Todd Grantham coach defense. I think they're very helter-skelter. You do have Kyle Trask, all those receivers that we're going to opt out, opt to back in, uh, you know, there's concerns about Florida's offensive line, but I don't know how good Ole Miss is on defense. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see Ole Miss cover the 14-and-a-half. Um, also at noon on SEC Network, and check this out. You know, Auburn, Auburn is playing Kentucky at home. So Auburn decided first game of the year, 100% of the crowd's going to be students. And so you're looking and, and you're looking at the ticket prices, you know, available on StubHub for a minimum of, you know, starting at whatever. You see that on the preview. You know, South Carolina's around $86. There's some for $125. You know, generally a little more pricey than your normal games. But um, Auburn's tickets start at $1,111. To get in for this Kentucky game, I'm like, woo, I could throw a hell of a party for $1,100. <laughs> and just watch it on the big screen. So I, I don't know if anybody's going to pay that, but it's because they're just letting students in. And then with the way student tickets work, are you going to fork out the two grand for you and your friend to go? And then they say, no, this is a student ticket. You have to have a student ID to get in. Ooh, wouldn't that be something? Wasted $2,000 there. Um, Kentucky's getting 10 and a half. I was talking about this game earlier today in Tuscaloosa. I think it's going to come down to the, the Auburn run defense. And, you know, they've got to replace some guys. But I, I think Kentucky's idea is going to be to go in there, stay on the field. You know, Chad Morris, obviously, is Auburn's offensive coordinator. They obviously want to go fast. But if you can stay on the field and keep them off, limit their chances, you know, Kentucky's got a good enough defense to force its share of three and outs, especially if Auburn's offensive line isn't up to snuff. Uh, and if they run the ball and are able to control the clock, they can win the game. Um, that said, I don't think they're going to do it. <laughs> I think Auburn's going to, you know, got enough playmakers and, and athletes on offense to negate that, make their share of big plays. And I think they'll big play Kentucky to death. I don't know that they'll cover the 10.5. I think it'll be, or I'm sorry, 10 and a half. Uh, I think it'll be more like a maybe nine-point game, like Auburn win, like you know, twenty-four, fifteen, you know, something like that. Maybe like thirty-one, twenty-two. Mississippi State plus sixteen and a half at LSU. I'm telling you guys this right now, and and I'm probably wrong. Yeah, and and by the way, like I said yesterday, don't listen to me when it comes to the point spread. I'm just kind of giving my opinion here. I. I just don't know how LSU overcomes the losses they have. I know everybody likes Jabril Cox, the linebacker from North Dakota and our North Dakota State, and I think he's a stud. Um, I know people like their five-star guys. I know they, they still got the corner over there. I know Mississippi State's, you know, got a new offense with Mike Leach. But that offense is not hard to install, folks. It's basically a timing rhythm thing. So you got to ask, is the timing down? Uh, they got Kylan Hill. Uh, I think if Mike Leach, you know, in any way at all, can creatively use him, he can be dangerous. And you just got to think how much can LSU really take? 
So I'm thinking Mississippi State covers the 16 and a half and could win the game straight up. And that's nothing that, that's not disrespectful to LSU or Ed Orgeron or Bo Pelini or any of those guys. I think this is a case study with just how much can you take in terms of departures off last year and how much does that magic from last year that Joe Burrow had, you know, Joe Burrow's tough as nails. Miles Brennan to me is unproven. Um, just how much can you take and still be really good? Uh, and then it's a very difficult matchup, you know, with, with Leach and what he likes to do. And, and Mississippi State's got athletes. Kylan Hill's a guy that's really good. You know, you got Tyrell Shavers and Malik Heath are two, you know, one's a transfer wide receiver from Bama. And then Malik Heath was a, a Juco guy that South Carolina actually recruited last year. And then you got some speedy guys. You got Steve Spurrier Jr. coaching receivers, so you know they're not going to drop passes. And then either K.J. Costello or, or the freshman, Will Rogers, at quarterback. And I, I think Will Rogers may eventually take Costello's job, but Costello's got a lot of experience. You know, Death Valley's not going to be as loud. Um, it's, and, it, and on top of that, it's a day game. It's not you – know, they're not going in there at night. So that, that game's very intriguing to me. 3.30 p.m., CBS – Da, 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 da. 4 p.m. SEC Network, Georgia minus 26 and a half at Arkansas. I realize Arkansas was terrible last year. And I was talking earlier today in on the Tuscaloosa show, you know, which game will get the most – it, it was actually – it was posed to me like this. Will Georgia-Arkansas be the one that gets the most out of hand when you're talking Georgia, Arkansas, Bama, Missouri, Vandy, A and M. And I said, no, I, I think this is the one that has a chance to be a little closer. And, and I'll tell you why. Number one, I like Arkansas's coordinators. Um, and I think you got to look past the fact Sam Pittman was an outside of the box hire and say, well, Kendall Browse is running the offense and Barry Odom's coaching the defense. And you look back through Barry Odom's career, both as a coordinator, both at Missouri and Memphis, he did less with more with less. Um, and Arkansas obviously needs that defensively. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about a, a Georgia team with, with a lot of power. Uh, they replace some of their good offensive linemen with more good offensive linemen. They got great backs. Um, but who knows what their quarterback situation is going to look like? Who knows if they're going to be, be able to throw it? And it's kind of like, kind of like Josh Pate said recently, that they could go in there just like at Vandy. I think they opened at Vandy last year and won 31 to six. Once they realize that, you know, their defense can take over the game and they have to get to that point, I think they'll just shut it down, run, 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 and melt the clock. And you may end up with like a 24 to seven type of game. Arkansas on offense, you know, there's things I like. And don't obviously, Rakeem Boyd as a running back is one of the best in the, in the, in the league and probably one of the best in the country. He's just on a bad team. And then you have Felipe Franks, a quarterback, and I'm not a big fan of his at all, but I am a fan of Kendall Bryles. And so if there's some looks that are sort of exotic, they catch Georgia napping. Uh, and I think Arkansas has got good receivers too. I mean, I, again, I'm a little worried about Franks getting in the ball. Um, so 26 and a half to me is a big number. I would probably take the Razorbacks to cover. You may think I'm crazy, and maybe I am. Because uh, I could also see this being like a 31 nothing game. I just don't think Georgia's going to run away with it and blow them out of the water. Um, that said, Georgia's got, I think, for my money, the best defense in the country, and maybe they do. But that's a, that's a big number for me. On the opposite end of things, Bama minus 27 at Missouri. You know, I Eli Drinkwitz is you know still kind of feeling his team out. They've had a lot of COVID issues. Um, it, he's been very public. Uh, I think Alabama is going to be hitting on all cylinders. I, I think Bama on both sides of the ball is dramatically superior. Uh, I think they cover. Welcome to the SEC. <laughs> That's a tough matchup for Mizzou uh, to, to ring in a new coach. Um, of course, there won't be many fans there, uh, just like there is everywhere else. Uh, and then Vandy is plus 31 at Texas A&M. To me, that's also a big number, and A&M's had some opt-outs, and they don't know who their receivers are going to be. But they've still got talent, and I think Vandy's just been a dumpster fire. And Vandy's defense, it's its almost a welcome thing for, for Jimbo Fisher because you were going to get a relatively challenging game no matter who you picked. 
or, or, or Drew, unless you got Missouri, maybe. But then Vandy's definitely it. They've had so many opt-outs and their defense is depleted. So this is a good time for Kellen Mond and the run game and those, you know, inexperienced wide receivers to really make some things happen. Um, and so I, I think A&M will cover that 31 against Vandy. And it's uh, it's going to be a tough year in Nashville for the Commodores. And on top of that, they're the only school in the league that's not letting fans in. So, um, goodness gracious, what little fans they have. You know, I, I think it's almost going to probably be better for them because – you're not going to have schools outnumber Vandy in their own stadium. And then South Carolina, Tennessee, I, you know, Tennessee, according to this line, minus three and a half. I think that's about right. Thinking it's a close game either way. I mean, you know, I'm going to have to pick the Gamecocks. I don't want to tick you guys off. Um, but I honestly believe, you know, if just neutrally, I believe the talent on both sides is, is more equal than people think. And, you know, I, I think you just got to dig into South Carolina's players a little more. And, and, you know, South Carolina obviously did not have the finish last year that Tennessee did. But I, I can assure you that, you know, on Tennessee's end of things, they're looking at this going, man, this is a this is an ambush possibly down in Columbia. And uh, I'm, I'm sure they would prefer not to play South Carolina to open. I'm, I'm, I think they were kind of hoping for the uh, – you know, every, everybody starts against their in-state rival. <laughs> um, and then everybody else is, is divided up, you know. Um, I think they were kind of maybe hoping for Vanderbilt to be the opener or a Missouri or somebody like that or a Kentucky who they own. But they haven't owned the Gamecocks. They, they won the game last year, but you look at it, they haven't owned South Carolina they don't like they have Kentucky. So, you know, that's my take on that one. So a little bit of around the SEC and kind of giving you my, my thoughts. You know, uh, if we we don't have a J.C. and Morgan on, on the schedule right now. Um, and, uh, you know, so um, it's, uh, you know, we'll see if it happens. There, there's some breaking news. We talked about Chuck Allen. Um, he ended his reelection bid for the board of trustees over cursing at a lawmaker's family. Ah, I didn't know it was a lawmaker's family. Now that's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. He says the good old boys won. Uh, and he voted against Caslin. Um, hmm. So yeah. Uh, Egerton Burroughs. Um, I guess is in the mix. Hugh Mobley, Gene War, blah blah blah. Or the vote. The, yeah, okay. Three board members who voted for Caslin are expected to win contested votes in the general assembly. Ah, look, man, come on. That's ridiculous. You know, I just, I just, you know, the fact that the general assembly. I just anyway. That's a podcast for uh, one July day in the off season, I'll, I'll get into all that. But I, uh, again, just passing the news along, Chuck Allen says, ah, you know, not gonna, I'm just going to drop my bid and go away quietly. And I guess quietly he's told multiple media outlets, but <laughs> we'll see kind of what happens there. All right. Mailbag time. Uh, my favorite segment again, mail, if you want to get in on the mailbag, it's inside the game at gmail.com. And if you want to tweet, and put it on Twitter, um, you, you go at the Big Spur Pod. 24-7 sports, by the way, is as I said, early breakout stars. I don't know. You know, the SEC hadn't played yet. and The Big Ten and Pac-12 are coming online. I mean, are, are we talking the early breakout stars of the Atlantic Coast Conference? You know, there's a Clemson guy, Miles Murphy, on here, and Miles Murphy has looked pretty good first two games. Anyway, all right, this comes in from Pretty Ricky. Pretty Ricky says, at the Big Spur Pod, thanks for taking our questions. I've read where South Carolina is appealing Jalen Brooks' waiver denial. Do appeals ever work? Also, why is the NCAA such a shadowy organization? Seems like they don't have any accountability or rules by which to govern themselves. Well, they they do. It, it's, you know, they, they keep things quiet, and you have to do that. There, there's FERPA laws and things like that where you can't comment publicly. Um but then there's also, I like, I think like 
mystery guidelines. In other, in other words, what you should do is say, okay, here are the scenarios where we will grant a hardship. You know, in other words, immediately eligible. These are the scenarios in life you have to go through, uh, you know, to, to get a hardship. And, you know, here are the, you know, because people don't understand why the poor kid from Coastal that uh, went to Virginia Tech uh, and got denied, even though he was going back closer to home and his family had a severe illness. Uh, and then JT Daniels can go all the way across the country and be immediately eligible. You know, pe- people don't really understand, you know, h- how that happens. People don't understand how at Georgia, you can have guys like Wolf, uh, the tight end from Illinois. Again, I think there was a brain tumor involved with that. Going back home uh, to the University of Illinois, and he gets denied, yet JT Daniels and Freeman, I mean, I think well, Freeman was a grad transfer, but JT Daniels gets eligible at Georgia. You know, and, and, and George is kind of the epicenter of this whole thing because their guys that leave tend not to get eligible. Their guys that don't leave, I mean, I'm sorry, their guys that come in, they tend to get eligible. So what's going on there? And, and there are some articles out there about another Georgia transfer that went to old Miss Otis Reese that are, I'll just say they're interesting and leave it at that. I don't want to get into the whole thing there. Um, you know, so, so I think that that's, you know, the, the criteria needs to be public. And you need to say, here's the criteria and, and broadcast that from the mountaintops. And then people can kind of see for themselves. Don't, don't leave any room for lawyering, okay? Because that, that's the big problem there is that you have, you know, you get lawyers involved and they're like, but, 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 but. And, and it's not a court of law. Just make it black and white. You know, hey, look. Here are the deals to do. Either that or just let everybody transfer once without penalty, which I don't particularly like. But, you know, at this point, when you got certain schools that, you know, anybody across the country could get in and get a transfer, but people that leave that school can't, you know, uh, and, and there's a pattern of it. And I'm not saying that, you know, Cade Mays should be eligible for Tennessee or Otis Reese should be eligible for Ole Miss. Maybe there's reasons uh, that they can't be. But it just looks suspicious. It looks suspicious. And then you have talk that some schools will support a transfer. Some schools will say, we don't support this and make it hard on the young man. Just, just you know, give it a blanket one time. And then after that, if you transfer twice, then, then you have issues. Um do appeals work? They did for Cade Mays at Tennessee. Um, but the SEC has to approve that now, and I don't know that they will because uh, it's an interconference transfer. Same thing with Otis Reese going to Ole Miss. It's, it's it within the conference. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that the truth is probably somewhere in between the NCAA actually being a shadowy organization and it just being this vast, incompetent academic bureaucracy you know, this is why, you know, in this country, you know, over the years, you know, people with fancy degrees and th- that are in the world of academia have almost become dumber and dumber and dumber uh, as they've chased, you know, higher learnings and, 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 and different philosophies on whatever, um, you know, they're intelligent or they're educated, but not necessarily intelligent. Educated doesn't always mean intelligent. Um and that's part of a greater problem, you know. I think, you know, when, when you kind of look at some other things around the country in terms of leadership and stuff like that, you just, you know, the Ivy League deal, you know, doesn't work anymore. And we, we they may very well have a president, you know, uh, here in a uh, little over a month that's the first one that didn't graduate from an Ivy League school. Um, and, and so I think in our country, as academia has become more isolated, and more in a bubble and money. And we've talked about this on JC and Morgan before, uh, you know, college football is a billion dollar a year industry. Higher education is a trillion dollar a year industry. So it's almost become, you know, kind of, you know, a bubble in academia, um, you know, and that trickles down to the NCAA because who runs the NCAA academics? Um, and I, I think appeals processes like this are very similar to, you know, students trying to appeal off academic suspension or stuff like that. You know, that's 
that's something that, you know, a friend of mine at South Carolina went through twice and could, you know, had severe, severe emotional issues um, and had every reason for an appeal. And, you know, the rule was sort of even shady uh, in the sense that they had gone to USC Aiken, uh, entered USC Aiken on probation, uh, got their grades up, came to the Columbia campus, but because they were on probation to begin with, they had to maintain uh, a, a semester GPA of 2.0, not a cumulative semester, or they were suspended for two years. Well, a bad semester, things weren't good at home, um, kicked him out. And then, you know, surely because, you know, this wasn't the letter of the law, the letter of the law really was applying to the Columbia campus and there was never a situation where the grades were bad, uh, you know, time after time after time to where, you know, they were on probation. They entered on probation because of their high school grades, you know? And, and so then this happens. And it's like, no. And then he appealed twice and no. And it ended up going back to Aiken and getting his degree and probably a lot more successful in life right now than a lot of those people that were in Columbia and got the degree. Um, you know, and that's at the University of South Carolina. That's our school, you know, the school we all talk about, cover, love, and all that. So uh, if it's that incompetent within a single academic bureaucracy, and if it's that bad, and that's not the only story I've heard along those lines for normal students, imagine, you know, being at the NCAA and having a collection of academically oriented people that, you know, or on a whim may do this or that. So, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't, I, I think it's somewhere between being actually shadow, shadowy and just being, you know, a case study and why there's extreme incompetence in terms of leadership and higher education in our country. And that's that. Joe C responds to that question with another question on Twitter again at the big spur pod. And look, those of you that work in higher education, no offense. I'm sure, I mean, the 97% of the people that work, uh, in higher education that I've come across in my life, I, I absolutely have a lot of respect for and all that. It, it, that's, it's not it. I'm, I'm speaking more to the leadership and the overall direction of that particular part of our society. Uh, and I'm, I'm certainly not making it personal about anyone. I, you know, I, I respect your job and I'm sure many of you are, are fans and I appreciate that, but that, that's just my personal opinion. So you could fill the three to disagree uh, or whatever. But Joe says, thinking about the question above, will the Big Five conferences finally get tired of the NCAA and do their own thing football-wise? Do they need the NCAA? No, they don't. They, they Well, let me back up. They do and they don't. They do, you know, they need the NCAA to do things like rule on eligibility, things like we just talked about, uh, you know, set the rules, enforce the rules, all that, because, they, you know, you don't want these conferences policing themselves because it's going to become kind of a finger pointing to well, one, the big 12, you can do this. And I think they showed during the pandemic that the big five is not as unified as people think, you know, there are dramatically different philosophies in terms of football and, you know, how to conduct football programs. And there's a bit of a rivalry there too. I've talked to you about the big 10 being the king of fake news. And I still think they are. I think they've proven it this time. But, you know, what's really gotten me fired up over the years has been that over-signing crap, you know, and they basically shamed the SEC in, into hamstringing their schools with, like, the number of players they can sign and, and, and making a hard cap because they, the SEC was embarrassed because some fan from the Big Ten got on Rivals.com and just did simple math. They've signed 30 guys and then uh, – that times four is 120 and you can only get 85. So where are these other guys going? They didn't take into account guys that were signed in place. They didn't take into account guys that got hurt, went on medical. They didn't take into account early departures for the NFL. They didn't take into account guys that just simply did not qualify academically and had to go elsewhere, you know, which over time adds up. Nobody talked about that. They looked on rivals.com. They said, who did you sign? They did math. They said, over signing. Oversigning, and and that that picked up. That was complete fake news. Now, was it egregious that Houston Nuts signed thirty-seven guys one year? Yes, but he's at Mississippi, and you have to understand, uh, in the state of Mississippi, 
you have a lot of players that go the JUCO route because they have a great JUCO system. And he was just trying to make the kids feel good. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, that you signed. You know, it matters who's enrolled, who enrolls. And when you look, when you pared it down and looked at the enrollment numbers, you know, there were maybe five guys missing. And and so, yes, the Big Ten is the king of fake news. And then you got the Pac-12 that's drowning in debt, that arrogantly, I call it the California arrogance, they decide – yeah, we're just going to do our own network. Well, they're hemorrhaging money and their product sucks right now because their players are all leaving and going East. And that's a problem folks. That's a problem. Uh, and you know, so, so you have dramatically different philosophies. And so I think for the, for the big five to, 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 you know, to peel off, you know, especially if they just peeled off for football you know, there would have to be a dramatic realignment um, as far as, uh, you know, thought process, leadership, all that. And then there's always the question, too, of the other sports. You know, basketball's revenue sport as well. The NCAA tournament's one of the greatest college sporting events there is. And it brings in a lot of money. And, and you know, what are you? I think a power five only March Madness would be less exciting. You know, because what captures people's imagination about that event is more like your Loyola's of the world uh, and, and your Cinderella's of the world, you know, that, that, that go, I mean, and, and then, you know, you start getting into all that. I mean, what do you do with the Big East? And then you got Villanova. It's been one of the most successful basketball programs the last 10 years. You know, are they going to be part of the power? I mean, you know, so, so there's a lot of questions there about it. Do I think having autonomy for the sport of football for the Power Five is good? Yes, you know, but they would have to get everything together. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and so we'll see what that, that happens. You know, we'll see if that ever happens. But it, it's, it's easy for me to say that, and I do agree in cert- to a certain extent, you know, the Power Five needs to, to rule the Power Five and have its own set of rules because it's a different animal. However, you know, I, uh, for the reasons I just outlined, you know, it's a little different. By the way, Chase Hatley, uh, big time, in my opinion, a big time uh, target for 2021 out of Cary, North Carolina for the Gamecocks, says Oklahoma, NC State, South Carolina are his top three. A lot of people say NC State right now. He's one I think the Gamecocks got to get on campus. 6'3", 201-pound safety that could grow into linebacker, you know, whoever. Um, So I think that – He's probably one of those dimes. I guess they talk about the dime now. Um, so there's some a recruiting update, courtesy uh, of Twitter and Chase Hatley's Twitter. All right, so now going to the email. This first one's kind of an off-topic thing. It says, JC, recently you mentioned the broadcast date of the last episode of Three's Company. Therefore, I gather you are a fan of this classic situation comedy TV show, just like I am. In case you didn't know, there's now a three-company channel on the free Pluto TV app. The channel number is 508. It broadcasts all episodes in chronological order 24 to 7. So go check this channel out and have yourself a ball revisiting this classic sitcom. I'll also keep up the great job of the podcast. I greatly enjoy listening to it. All right, so that's channel 508 on the free Pluto TV app. If you're a three-company fan, you can watch all the episodes in chronological order 24 to 7. 24-7, that's probably going to be something I dig into in the next offseason, to be honest, because it's uh, during the season I get kind of, you know, busy. (laughs) I don't don't think you guys would appreciate it if one day we didn't have a podcast and and my excuse was I I was binging uh, the entire collection of Three's Company. I mean, yeah, I was kind of a Janet person, you know, brunette on the thing. All right, final question comes in on the mailbag. Again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spurt Pod. JC, enjoying the podcast. My question is, what is the ceiling and floor for the Gamecock receiving core this season? Okay, I'll start with the floor. The floor would be Shy Smith is Shy Smith and everybody else is kind of inconsistent and struggles. Yeah, they can't get separation. They continue to struggle with drops, uh, all that. The ceiling is much higher than that, and, and I think the ceiling could end up being, you know, one of the you know, pretty good receiving core like they had two years ago. Um, you know, 
is there a Debo Samuel or, or Brian Edwards? No, not right now, but could a guy emerge? Um, you know, J.C. Horn compared DeCarrie Joyner to Debo the other day. Um, I think it was Joyner. Maybe somebody else. I think it was Joyner. Um, you know, when I look at it, I, I, you know, and, and I keep using this as an example, Josh Van went from third to seventh. So those, there's a lot of guys that have passed him, you know, the three true freshmen and Joyner. Uh, and throw Brooks in there, Van is eighth. You know, Brooks is not eligible right now. Um, and, and you look at those guys individually. So, so you go to, okay, what happened? Is, is Van just struggling or whatever? Well, Van's been player of the day a couple of times. It's been inconsistent a little bit, you know, still probably, you know, drops it from time to time. Um, but I think it's more about those other guys. I mean, you look at a guy like Xavier Leggett, you know, that's a big guy that's very fast. You know, Luke Doty is fast. Rico Del- Rico Powers is fast. To carry Joyner in a straight line, may not be as fast as the other guys, but he's elusive. And we don't really know how ultimately fast he is because he played all year with a hurt hamstring. But go watch – Go watch him escape pressure against Georgia in a key situation. You'll see the guy's elusive. You know, people hate on him, and I don't want as an athlete, and I don't understand why. You know, the guy wasn't a great passer, <laughs> and that's why he's playing receiver now. But nobody said he wasn't a great athlete. Um, so, so I think when you break it down, because there is more athleticism and speed. And because of the nature of Bobo's offense, and you go back and watch it at, at Colorado State, you know, they, they, they like getting the ball to their speedy guys. And there's big play opportunity. And we've heard all about explosive plays all preseason. Um, so I think the ceiling would be to, you know, 2018, had it not been for the ridiculous amount of drops, and that gets back to coaching. Um, you had, you know, two NFL guys plus Shy Smith. You know, again, you know, you had Debo, you had Brian Edwards, you had Shai Smith. Those were your three. You know, no wonder they threw for 500 yards against Clemson. <laughs> I mean, those pretty good players, right? And so, um, you know, that that level, which was a, looking back was a good receiving core. You know, if you can get back to that level talent-wise and you don't drop the ball, and Colin Hill, of course, delivers it. You can you can have a really good year. So that's that's where I'd kind of put the ceiling ish around in that area. But I would hope that you know, unlike twenty eighteen, they can hang on to the football. You know, and I think that's something Joe Cox, the new receivers coach, has been working on. And uh, I would anticipate these guys being better coached. Obviously, if you have freshmen passing your veterans, you're doing some coaching. Um, so, but we'll, we'll see what happens on on a Saturday night. My anticipation for that is you're going to see him spread the ball around in the passing game quite a bit. Uh, and it may not be all to the receivers. We may see, may see some little Kevion Mullins at tight end. You know, you're probably going to see Nick Muse heavily involved. I think they're going to throw it to the backs a lot. You know, the, the, the offense is multiple in that way. You know, you, you have Adam Prentice who I think has got some really good hands for fullback. So, We'll see what happens. But I, I'll say this, Noah, you know, just in general, I am more confident about the receivers than I was heading in. And I will tell you that people within the program agree with me. Because that was, I mean, everybody was talking about what a concern it was heading in, uh, you know, in terms of analysts like me, fans or whatever. I can assure you that inside the program, that was the same, there was the same concern. You know, we got to get better here. Um, and there's been some good signs. Uh, with preseason camp all right i've blabbered on for an hour uh, i appreciate all you guys tuning in to the inside the gamecocks podcast again head on over to the apple podcast area rate us five stars write a review certainly appreciate that uh keep those mailbag questions coming inside the gamecocks at gmail.com uh, or tweet to at the big spur pod um rest of this week we'll have Thursday show. We'll have a Friday morning show. Um, after the game, I'm going out of town. Going to be watching the game somewhere else. Uh, Monday's show, the review could be mid-afternoon-ish, depending on what time I get back. Because um, I don't want to record it on my freaking cell phone with an echo. And, you know, I'd rather you guys just 
not worry about what I have to say about the game than hear me at, like I'm at the bottom of a well. But anyway, we'll get you that back on Monday. But anyway, we'll go through all that at the end of the week. Thank you for listening. This has been Inside the Gamecocks Podcast. Don't forget, 1230 Eastern, I'm on JB and Goldwater, and the great Mike Morgan will follow me. Uh, Take care, guys, and we'll holla at you soon.